This is Peak Humans episode number 141. The Peak Humans podcast is where you come to get world-class insights, tools, and strategies on the psychology of peak performance and high-performance habits. Are you ready for a game-changing advantage for your business? This is your invitation to get your team to start performing at the next level with a peak performance business results training. It's the exact path to your next big breakthrough. It's the very first thing you'll see in the links down below. Today's show is with Kristen Holmes. Kristen is the VP of Performance Science at Whoop. Kristen drives thought leadership by engaging with industry-leading researchers and partners to better understand individual and team biometric and performance data across high-stakes verticals to drive product innovation, strategy, and coaching. Kristen blends her academic and applied background in athletics, coaching, performative technology, psychology, and exercise physiology to drive research, partnership, and product development initiatives to strengthen WHOOP as a leader in human performance. Kristen works with hundreds of the best tactical professional surgical teams, corporate and NCAA athletic teams in the world, helping them interpret WHOOP data to optimize training, recovery, and sleep behavior. She was a three times All-American, two times Big Ten Athlete of the Year at the University of Iowa, competing in both field hockey and basketball, and a 2021 University of Iowa Hall of Fame inductee. She was also a seven-year member of the U.S. National Field Hockey Team and one of the most successful coaches in Ivy League history, having won 12 league titles in 13 seasons and a national championship at Princeton University. Kristen has an MIT Sloan Artificial Intelligence Certificate, an MA in Physiology and Sports Performance, a BA in Political Science at the University of Iowa. She's also a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland. Kristen serves as a science advisor to Levels Health, science advisor to Arena Labs, advisor to Evolve Leadership, a performance ambassador to Liminal Collective, and sits on the Tactical Leadership Board of Sports Innovation Lab. Now, please enjoy today's show with Kristen Holmes. Kristen, so great to have you on the Peak Humans podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited. I love the whoop. Um, I also yeah. love some of your stories. So before we even jump jump into uh, talking about whoop, I want to talk more about you. You have a great background. You're an athlete. You went to some great schools. So can you tell us your maybe uh, 30 second to minute story? I know it might be hard to condense into that. Yeah. Of time. Uh, just give yeah. us your story. Yeah, so I played a couple sports in college. I played field hockey and uh, basketball at the University of Iowa, so Big Ten. And uh, yeah, and then I played on the U.S. national team for about uh, seven years, so in the sport of field hockey. And uh, that was a pretty amazing experience. And then um, went on to uh, do did some international coaching uh, throughout my career. Uh, so I was a U-17 national team head coach for the national team for about a decade and, uh, and also assistant to our, our U.S. national team. Um, and then in parallel, I was coaching, I was the head field hockey coach at Princeton university where, um, where I was, uh, I spent 13 seasons. Um, and yeah, and kind of in, I suppose in parallel, I was really interested in, in this concept of performance education, right? So 
um, as a, as a coach, it's not just about the X's and O's and you know, this from playing, you know, college basketball, there also is this other component that's equally as important. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of how we think about our training, how we think about our lifestyle and, and whether that ladders up in a positive way to help us meet our goals or whether, um, you know, there are detractors or, uh, not doesn't ladder up to, uh, to help us meet our goals. So I was really interested in kind of wrestling to the ground, you know, what are the factors, both psychological and physiological that, um, will help us optimize, uh, our mindset and our attentional capacity and our energy production and motivation. And that's really from a research perspective where I've spent, um, really my life's, my life's work is kind of understanding, the, the psychology and the physiology and how they interact. That's incredible. I love that. You said a lot of big, awesome words in there. I want to dig in too deeper, uh, but I'm going to chunk it down slowly. So you also studied, uh, you have a PhD in psychology, you said, right? Or, yeah. So, so I'm finishing up my, my PhD. So should, should be done here pretty, pretty soon. Um, so I'm a, a PhD candidate at University of Queensland um, in psychology and um, my research question, my really what I study is, is, uh, human resilience. So I'm looking at wow. kind of the psychophysiological determinants of human resilience. So a lot of, a lot of what I've been focusing on is, is around the circadian kind of component. So the timing of things and how they move around, um, our physiology. Um, so, you know, measuring things like heart rate variability and, and heart rate and, um, and, you know, sleep architecture and, um, and how they also influence our psychological functioning. So really trying to, to understand, you know, when we think about human health at a foundational level, you know, what are kind of the non-negotiables? And that's, that's really what my research asks. Mm, I love that. What are the non-negotiables of human health <laughs> at a foundational level? Yeah. I mean, one of the ones that continuously bubbles up in our research as being most predictive of psychological functioning and um, as well as resilience is, is sleep-wake time. So it's probably one of the most important behaviors that we have as human beings is stabilizing when we go to bed and when we wake up. Mm. Um, the more uh, uh, variable that is, um, we see a degradation in heart rate and heart rate variability as well as psychological functioning. I just published a paper in military medicine, which, um, which showed this uh, really strong relationship um, between sleep wake time and psychological functioning and um soldiers in in US Army Alaska. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Sleep wake time yeah. is important, right? You want to be consistent as possible, which is why yeah. they show like your variability of like when you go to sleep, when you wake up. So totally. Yeah. And the the weekly performance assessment. Yeah. And that's really, you know, when you when you think about okay, what are the metrics that actually matter? Um, that's what I'm really interested. We don't have a gazillion hours in the day, right? And there's lots of different behaviors that people are saying are great for us. Um, but what are actually the the core behaviors? Um, and I, I would put uh, minimizing the variability of when you go to bed and when you wake up as often as possible. You don't need to be perfect, but um, it, but that is absolutely worth your time and attention because we know desynchronization. So what leads, what happens when you have a variable sleep wake time? It leads to a desynchronized circadian rhythm right? A, a desynchronized circadian system. And we know that they're, you know, th that is really the path to metabolic dysfunction, right? So insulin resistance, we know that irregular sleep wake time is a path to, um, you know, infertility. Uh, we know that it's a path to reduce melatonin production, which is not just the hormone of darkness, but also has neuroprotective effects. Um, we know that uh, sleep wake time, uh, will correlate to kind of all these mental health 
you know, things as well. Um, So yeah, so it's really, I can't kind of underscore enough, like how important that behavior is. Yeah. What are some ways uh, that you personally minimize variability when you go to bed and wake up? Because I I have with my clients, like they want to get to bed on time. They want to sleep early. They want to wake up, right? What are, do you have any strategies or rituals or routines that work for you or, or even just people in whoop or people, you know, that you find. Yeah. Yeah, Well, what we know from the science is that, um, the more variable, like if you're waking up at all sorts of different times, that's going to influence your melatonin, the release of your melatonin at night. So you want to try to, so the, within 20 minutes of waking up, kind of figure out when do you want to, when, what can be a regular wake up time for you mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of settle on that. And then within 20 minutes of that regular wake up time, you want to view as much natural light as humanly possible. Mm, yep. Okay. Like that, that sets, that gives you that cortisol pulse, right? Which tells your body it's time to be alert and time to be awake. That also is what is going to determine when you release melatonin. Yes. Right. And melatonin is what is going to make you feel naturally sleepy. Want to go back is, to that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So in order to stabilize your sleep wake time, you need to feel sleepy at a regular time. Right. Yeah. So, and that's really a great proxy for just your overall health. Mm. Am I alert when I want to be alert? Am I sleepy when I want to be sleepy? And, and how variable is that? Right. The less variable, kind of the more synchronized your circadian rhythms and generally the healthier you're going to be as a human. Yeah. That's so cool. So as early as possible, when you wake up, you want to get some sunlight. Cause that's yeah. cortisol up, which is going to yeah. tone in up in the evening when it's time to go to bed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that kind of will start your sleep, you know, your pressure for sleep will start building. So, yeah. yeah. So within 20 minutes of waking up artificial light, natural light, you know, natural light is, is optimal. Uh, you need probably about a, a hundred thousand lux, you know, within 20 minutes of waking up to really set your circadian rhythm. So that means if it's super bright out, you know, five minutes will probably get you there. Um, less bright out, you know, probably need more like 20 minutes, but you know, I grab my coffee, I take a little walk around the block and good to go. Or I go sit by the lake, you know, on those days where I have a little extra time. Um, but, but yeah, it's, and I know, and I, I understand, like I have a couple of kids, like I totally understand the challenges of, of kind of doing that. But if you, the degree to which you can incorporate your family, you know, your dog needs it, your kids need it. (laughs) So try to like make this kind of a family, you know, ritual, Harder, obviously, when you live in an apartment building, but even, you know, just getting near windows, it takes longer, but, um, but just turning all the lights on. Similarly, you want to restrict light after the sun goes down. And that's the other piece of the puzzle that modernity makes it really difficult is that it's, it's hard with all the artificial light. Um, it, it can be hard to, to restrict light after the sun goes down. But to be really clear, we have not evolved to adapt to blue light after the sun goes down. So blue and white light um, really do impact melatonin production, kind of the strength of that melatonin. Um, and, uh, and, and we might fall asleep just because we're really tired, but it actually ends up fragmenting our sleep. So the light viewing in the lead up to bed is also so, so critically important. Yeah. Um, you know, it impacts our dopamine system next day, which is our, you know, motivation and reward center. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, downstream health implications when we are mismanaging light, uh, in that we're, you know, kind of, we're out of sync of the natural light, dark cycle. Yep. That's cool. Light management is very important. It sounds like it, it, 
truly like, I mean, it's, it's kind of everything, right. Cause that, that is what, in you know, it will determine, you know, when you feel alert and when you feel sleepy and, and that if we don't get that right, our, our mood, our productivity, our, uh, our capacity to, to be, you know, kind of tolerant and patient and just empathetic humans, you know, declines, um, I think in, in relation to how we manage that. Very cool. So family walks in the morning with the dog, get some sunlight. Yeah. Shut the screens off, manage the blue light. I wear these uh, blue yeah. blinders when I'm uh, yes. looking during the day, especially yes. on computers, right? Do not wear them during the day. Your, your, oh. your eyes, okay. no blue light blocking glasses during the day. Not um, even if you're they, on like a big computer screen like this for like hours. Yeah. I mean, it, it might reduce some of the strain potentially, but the, the, the cool. research is very fuzzy around that. Like you actually yeah. want, so these are just for seeing, but they don't have a blue light uh, filter. So oh. I would not recommend your body. You, you need to, you want as much, you want the full spectrum of, of light hitting your retinas during the day. Um, yeah. Again, that's a signal to your body that it's time to be awake. It's time to be alert. And, um, and you need, you need, we're, we need that full spectrum of light. So I wouldn't recommend necessarily wearing blue light blocking glasses during the day. This is great. I'm happy. I just <laughs> <laughs> We're done now. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've, I've contributed my, yeah. <laughs> so, so with the nighttime, do you have a suggestion on like between bedtime and snow screen time? Is it like three hours before? And again, that might not be realistic for a lot of people, right? But what yeah. time really do you want to like get off the screens and start winding down if you're trying to sleep by like, let's say you want to sleep by 10 p.m. Yeah. Uh, that was a good time to maybe shut down, shut off the screens and wind down. Um, you know, ideally a couple hours prior to when you intend to sleep. Um, you also want to stop eating a couple hours prior to when you intend to sleep. So when we look at population level data on whoop, um, where, you know, folks are able to track all sorts of things in a, you know, that kind of run in that help contextualize all the objective metrics that we're tracking, you know, so people can enter in, you know, their meal timing. And, and when one of the things that we see impact sleep, uh, all parameters of sleep and, and all parameters of recovery is the degree to which um, the um, how uh, when folks are having their kind of last calorie. So yeah. um, for folks who indicate that they've eaten within two hours of bedtime, we see a, a, a statistically significant decrease in recovery and in, in their sleep parameters. So um, we know that that sleep um, and we know this from the external literature definitely lines up with what we know about time-restricted eating, another really important circadian behavior that I'd put right underneath kind of sleep-wake time and light would be, um, you know, kind of restricting your eating window, um, ideally when the sun is up. That's when we're most primed to metabolize food. Um, yep. So when we're eating outside of that um, window, our body, you know, feels like, you know, it's, it's a cue that it's not anticipating or it doesn't, it's not primed our, our, our tissue cells, organs, like we're not really primed to, um, you know, to kind of digest food during that time. Um, yeah. so we're, it's, it's very expensive to our system and, and not to mention, you know, if it's really close to sleep, it's, you can't sleep and it's very, you will sleep, you'll be in physiological sleep, but your sleep will not be as deep when you're simultaneously trying to, to digest food, both yeah. are parasympathetic activities, right? So, and your body is going to bias or prior, you know, prioritize, uh, digestion, um, digestion. over sleep. Right. So you, that's when you end up like with that really fragmented, uh, sleep, um, yeah. when you're eating time. that's amazing. It's so mm -hmm. wild, right? So light management and also I, I've read David Sinclair's work and mm. he talks about also like to just have a longer health span and longevity or health lifespan, whatever you want to call it. Um, when you eat is more important than actually what you eat. Right. 
Yeah, so. it gets you probably 50% of the way there. You know, like I think there, there's some research that shows, you know, for individuals who are, um, you know, are clinically, you know, pre-diabetic um, for three weeks, they basically just restricted their eating window to eight hours while the sun's up, reversed their condition. Wow. So, without changing their diet. Yep. So, you know, you end up, um, and there's another, you know, you do end up eating about 400 fewer calories when you're restricting your feeding window. So basically there's a study that looked at um, uh, either calorie restriction um, or time restricted eating and, um, and, and both kind of re uh, reduced calories in the same amount. So it, what I love about time restricted eating, it's just an eating window. You're not having to do the mental math of counting your calories, which huh. is just a pain in the ass, you know? Oh. Um, so, but, but if you're just, you know, really super disciplined on, all right, I'm only going to eat during eight hours, you end up restricting calories and folks end up losing weight. Um, the same oh. amount of weight as the control group was, which was counting calories, which I thought was kind of interesting. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about, uh, HRV, mm. I love, well, one thing I love about the whoop. It's so I, before I was start, I've been wearing the whoop for like three years, maybe four years now. Wow. Or <laughs> kind of like most athletes and like type A people, right? It's like, I'm just work out, sleep little, get up, go keep on pushing through. Mm. Right. Which is also playing sports, right. In college, it's like kind of similar idea. It's like, keep going, like your ankles half broken, play the basketball game. Right. So I'm like, okay. Like that's the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But this was so revolutionary for me. Cause I was like, I should actually rest and like sleep more. I'm like, I was like, turn my brain inside out and upside down. I know. Uh, so that was revolutionary and so awesome for me. Yeah. I, this, this concept of, you know, kind of load management, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's and when I was kind of, when I was coaching, it was really uh, not in vogue yet. Um, but definitely the data that I had coming through, you know, we had, um, we had a heart rate data. Um, I was using a different, uh, different technology at the time, but, but it was very, very clear that, um, managing load was a path to a healthier, more robust, more resilient athlete. <laughs> um, yeah. so, and then, you know, we've just evolved the space, I think of human performance has evolved incredibly over the course of the last decade to realize, wow, okay, there really is a science more is just more. It's not necessarily better. And, and, and in fact, athletes are, you know, are, are adapting, um, way more functionally when rest is built in in very intentional ways. So, yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity. And if you take that, it, you know, the gains for elite athletes are, are amazing, right? So the, the gains for us are, are actually astronomical, like when we get out of that environment. So rest is so, so important. Um, there's no question about it. Yep. It's so helpful. And the sleep obviously is super helpful too. I, I want to ask you about that, but also before I want to ask you about the HRV and somebody mm. had a question about this. I'll ask it uh, based on what they said too, but that was really helpful for me too, to start measuring that and seeing real-time data on that too. Mm -hmm. So one person asked is what, is, well, how does HRV work and why are higher numbers important for HRV? Yeah. So heart rate variability is basically just the time interval of, uh, between heartbeats, right. And you want that time between heartbeats to be the more variable it is, the more primed you are to adapt in a functional way to your environment. So the higher the variability, the better. Yep. Um, now when you put stimulus on your body, so let's say you're training really hard, you know, you've got really high strain, you're busy. Uh, the chance, chances are 
tomorrow, your heart rate variability will be a little bit suppressed because you put a lot of stress on your, on your body, but, but that's not a bad thing. Right. And this is where the recovery component piece comes in. Right. So, you know, you wake up the next day and you were maybe in the green. Okay. Which means your, your heart rate variability is high. Your resting heart rate's lower. You're kind of primed. You, so then you're like, all right, I'm going to stress my body. You wake up the next day and now you're in the yellow. All that means is your body heard that you took on a stimulus and now the recovery now, now that you're in the yellow, you pull back on your volume and intensity that day. So you can capitalize on the gains that you made yesterday. If I were to kind of push through and train really, really hard again, um, that might be okay in some instances, Mm -hmm. right? The fitter you are, the more you can kind of do that. But yep. the less fit you are, the actually the more you have to kind of allow yourself to recover so your body can, um, you know, can can kind of deal with the inflammation and, and you know, give it time to deal with that inflammation and build yeah. the muscle that, you know, if you just strength trained, like you want to be able to kind of, uh, you know, build that muscle. If you just did a hard cardiovascular workout, you want to allow your heart to recover. Um, so that's kind of how WHOOP works in terms of giving you feedback. Um, but yeah, a high hurry variability just means that your body is adapting really functionally to, um, not just training stress, but also just life stress. Um, yeah. so there's, it's, it's not just, uh, it's really a psychophysiological measure of readiness. Mm. I love how you use that term psychophysiological. That's great. Mm. Uh, but before I get off track, I want to ask you this. So my recovery yesterday was 60%. So if it's at 60%, what would you, because I worked out yesterday, which makes sense. And I've been traveling Mm -hmm. too. So if it's 60%, it's like, do I do my weight training routine today? Or is it more of like, oh, a yoga day, kind of rest day a little bit, or or is it kind of, no, you know, I would say when you're in kind of that upper band of yellow proceed, whatever you have planned, I would do. Um, yeah. And I would say, you know, only when you're kind of in that lower band of yellow. So like that 36, 37, I think 30. Yeah, 30, 36, I think would be red, right? Yep. Um, the only time I'd ever really pull back is probably two days in the red. Mm, yep. Um, or if you go from green to red, yep. so really big day-to-day fluctuations, <laughs> that to me is more of a signal. So today I'm I'm yellow, mm. um, but I had a really egregious day-to-day fluctuation. So I was green the previous day, really high heart rate variability. And today actually my heart variability is really low. Um, So even though I'm in the yellow, I am basically looking at how egregious that HRV drop is. It still put me in the yellow band, but so today I just did a nice long zone too. I did, you know, I did a, uh, you know, I did some, some step ups with weight and some abs and boom, that's it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so you start to kind of learn, um, you know, it's very intuitive, I think, and you start to kind of learn how to adjust. Um, But yeah, I would say, generally speaking, you don't need to think about it in such acute terms, like you can pretty much proceed. And then you kind of look at your week um, in terms of how you're adapting to plan your next week. I think that's like the best way to think about it. Yeah. I love it. It's so nice to look at on the, the bigger timeframes, right? So off all the weekly mm. report and also the monthly and also Same. the yearly too. It's so awesome. To I do. know it's unreal. Yeah. yeah. It's, and I think at, at the core, like we're just trying to, I, I, I think we're technology can be really helpful and, and why I love Whoop so much is it, it just helps me understand my body. 
you know, yeah. and, and what's, what's great is we're, we're at a, a really an unprecedented time in, in human history where the tech, the, the data coming through is really good, you know, yeah. really good at measuring sleep. We're really good at measuring our adaptation, right. You know, using a metric like heart a marker, like heart rate variability and resting heart rate. Like it just gives us a really great sense of, you know, how we're managing our life um, and, and where we might need to ask, you know, more pointed questions about our behaviors. If in fact, we're not adapting in a positive way. Yep. It's so true. One thing that's wild to me is ever, I don't really drink very much, but if I go out and have a glass of wine, like the next day is like red. It's unbelievable. Like how I know. sick it's like red, right? Like I had COVID. I it was like red. It's I know. Wild, like it knows so accurately. Yeah. And we're really, I, I think what's, what's really interesting is, is people have different tolerance levels, right? So you might be really sensitive to alcohol. Just one drink is enough to tank you. Whereas, you know, the next guy might be able to have two and they don't really see meaningful changes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think we know, you know, from the literature, no, no real, no amount of alcohol is really good for us, unfortunately. So, um, so I think you just need to be really clear in terms of picking and choosing, you know, when it is you are going to drink because it does impact your capacity the next day. And if you're interested in being available and present and engaged in your life, um, you know, being hungover is, is, uh, it can be tough, you know, and, yep. and definitely, you know, forces, uh, more time you have to spend getting back to neutral, you know, the next day. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's that old quote from Ben Franklin, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And that's, I think the other opportunity is, is the prevention piece, you know, before you kind of start to see which behaviors are really upgrading your health and which behaviors aren't. And you can kind of, you can course correct before you're faced, you know, with a, a pre-diabetes like diagnosis or a cancer diagnosis. You know, I mean, that's actually how important or how I think behaviors compound, you know, to really, um, uh, put us in that prevention category versus, you know, kind of teetering on uh, a diagnosis, you know? No, that's one thing I get so much value from it in the sense where it does make me realize, wow, like if I just don't do this thing versus like, go do the, like, again, the old me before I was like, oh, let me go do a workout, keep doing more things. Yeah. Yeah. If I just don't do this, I'll get, oh, that's just as good or if not better than going to do a CrossFit workout or doing it. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, totally. What's one of your f- favorite uh, features of the Whoop? What do you like about it? I know there's a lot of things probably, right? But uh, what's one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love Health Monitor, you know, just as like a yeah. quick snapshot of like, you know, how everything is trending. Um, I mean, I'm I'm actually still getting into, into it, but Strength Trainer is really like a pretty epic feature <laughs> um, where, you know, you basically can enter in your weightlifting workouts and then oh. understand how, uh, like basically get kind of a, it gets factored into your recovery. Whereas used, it used to just be cardiovascular. Now we actually have that neuromuscular load um, uh, score, uh, which is, which is, is pretty amazing. Um, cool. yeah. So it's basically quantifying your strength training. That's amazing. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that was a feature. That's so cool. I'm going to check that out. I know. Yeah. It's, it definitely like is super novel. And I think fills a pretty important gap when you kind of look at the wearable space in terms of quantifying, not just cardiovascular, but also muscular load. 
um, and give you kind of this really comprehensive view of your, your kind of your training, um, which, you know, ultimately is allow you going to train more effectively and more efficiently. So, um, yeah, so being able to calculate muscular load, I think is like so novel and amazing. My yeah. other feature, the other feature that I'm just like totally obsessed with is the stress monitor. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, it is just like so epic to just see how, so basically it gives you, it, it's on a scale of zero to three. Um, and, and it uses heart rate variability and heart rate. So, and this is kind of happening, you know, every second we're basically kind of calculating your heart rate and heart rate, your heart rate variability and your heart rate. And yep. we're putting that kind of on a scale of stress. Yep. So you can kind of see like when I, when uh, just things that I've been noticing in terms of trends, like when I'm managing my stress really proactively throughout the day, my sleep is really flat. And I don't know if you can see this, like this is an yeah. example, you can see my sleep and now you, this is today, right? Yep. So I'm kind of, um, you know, kind of in that 1.7 range. So just like medium stress, you know, I've been, um, so you can see where my activity was, where my little workout, where my run was, um, yeah. and then you can see my sleep. So last night's sleep is a reflection of really how I managed my stress the previous day for me. And what's yeah. also really cool is I can see when I have like a Prosecco, for example, like a glass of wine, um, you know, a couple hours before bed, even, you know, even up to four hours before bed my initial sleep will be really bouncy. Yeah. And I, it'll, it'll, you know, manifest in, in kind of the sleep monitor. It's like so clear, like, so it basically takes, so it's, it's basically my body is working to, to kind of metabolize that alcohol. And I can't really drop into deeper stages of sleep until that alcohol is out of my system. Wow. Yeah. It is so fascinating. So there's like so many different ways to think about stress monitor. So this is definitely an area where we're going to be just digging into research to really look at our data at a population level, yep. um, you know, to just kind of see what, what is actually really happening, because I think this is just such a novel metric um, that uh, it would just be interesting to see kind of what it correlates with uh, other things that it correlates with. Yeah. I'm looking at mine now. So mine was a 1.3 so far today. Oh, um, nice. Chill. Look how flat your sleep is. Is that okay? Cool. It's That's amazing. Good. It's so good. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh. Well, I go up during sleep if you wake up or something or you have bad yeah. dreams. Yeah. So basically if you, so this is like kind of a hypothesis that I have to prove out, but just, you know, N of one, just observing my own data over the course yeah. of the last, you know, six months or so. Um, I definitely see this relationship between just like, I think like my, you know, kind of general anxiety, my perceived stress throughout the day uh, seems to correlate with my sleep at night. Mm. If I'm like having like this epic day where, you know, I'm just managing my stress really well. I'm, I'm doing my breathing protocols. I'm, I'm getting outside in nature. I've got a good workout in, I'm eating cleanly. Like it's just, my sleep is whoop, flat. Yeah. Um, you know, and then if I'm not kind of doing those things, I notice like a more fragmented sleep experience, um, on my stress monitor. So that stress kind of gets brought into my sleep if I'm not oh. managing it proactively throughout the day. And these are things that intuitively we kind of know, but to be able to quantify it is just like mind blowing to me. It's like so cool. So it really motivates me. Like I want to wake up and see that like beautiful flat sleep that you just showed me. <laughs> so it really <laughs> motivates me to, to be more conscious like throughout the day to be like, hmm, okay, I need to, I need to take time to really, to really proactively manage my stress. So that means building in some breath work. 
you know, I really try to do it just, I go super low entry. Like I'm just like 30 seconds yep. of physiological sigh, which we know is the most efficacious breathing protocol to bring your heart rate down and to activate that parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So I just try to do that for 30 seconds, can you we know, do five times a day. Can yes, we of course we can. What a physi okay. physiological sigh is. Yes. So physiological sigh is basically a breathwork protocol. So we did, um, so Dr. Andrew Huberman, one of our science advisors did this epic study where he basically looked at the physiological sigh, um, box breathing, mindfulness, and, um, and, and tumor breathing. So super oxidation breathing, which we knew would obviously elicit a high heart rate. Um, and basically long story short, the physiological sigh emerged as the breathwork protocol that was most efficacious in reducing heart rate. And, um, I think most importantly, really, uh, increasing feelings of, uh, positive mood and, um, decreases in perceived stress and, and anxiety. So, um, the physiological side is essentially uh, a double inhale followed by an extended exhale and in principle, slow pace, slow pace breathing, where you're prior or emphasizing that exhale is going to reduce your heart rate. But what's great about breathing is that you can actually control your physiology. Whereas yeah. mindfulness and meditation, while they're wonderful, um, there are, it's can be hard for people to kind of drop into that state. And it often takes a really long time to get to a point where you're really in that meditative state where your physiology can benefit. Yeah. Um, now there's other benefits that, you know, have been measured. And, you know, so I don't want to say paint the picture that mindfulness meditation is, is not good, but I think for a stress mitigation tool throughout the day, you want something that you can just do in 30 seconds. That's going to have a meaningful impact. Cause we just don't have a lot of time, right. To sit there and meditate for 20 minutes. Like, um, I, and I think for elite, I, I will, I will say that just working with special operations and elite, the most elite athletes, we actually struggle with meditation a little bit. <laughs> I think yeah. there's, I don't know what it is, but we all kind of have like similar DNA. I, you know, the, the athlete will just admit, I'd be like, I can't meditate. I'm like, all right, no need to stress. Let's just, let's just breathe. Um, so, but the physiological side is essentially, um, it, uh, a full kind of inhale. And then you want to just try to capture whatever little else, uh, kind of, uh, breath you have left and yeah. then with an extended exhale. So we can do it together. So. Yeah. Ready? Should we do a few more? Oh, you tell me. Yeah, love it. And if you go on the Whoop app, um, you can actually keep track of this. Um, it, we will take you through this guided breathing session. Oh, cool. You can yeah. And you can, and you can start your exercise and Dr. Andrew Hubrun will give you a little tutorial. Um, and, and then you can kind of see your breath work on that little timeline that I showed you. Um, that's in the coachings tab. So that's basic, that's in the stress monitor. So oh. if you go in, if you go into stress monitor, the other thing that's super cool too, that we just added is like, you can start to see, you can see your total day. So how much time you're spending, how many hours, minutes you're spending in low stress versus medium versus high. And then you can actually see your trends over time. So you just, so you can kind of see, 
it, it's like so cool. You can yeah. see how much the the orange is high stress, green is medium, oh, and wow. blue is yeah, yeah. So you can kind of see, wow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are just I am, you know, just spending, you know, four hours in high stress zone this week, which is above my previous seven day average of two hours oh. and thirty four minutes. You know, so it's like you can kind of see. And then you can see, wow, my average HRV, my average recovery was lower this week. Mm, I can probably see a strong, I see a strong correlation between, again, how I'm managing okay. stress, the degree to which I spend in that high stress zone versus medium versus low, and how that impacts my ability to adapt to life in a functional way measured by recovery. That's so cool. I got it right here. Here's mine. Uh, yeah. An hour and Look eight. at that. Hour and eight minutes. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So mine's an hour and 54 minutes. Yeah. So I'm in the higher stress zone. Um, You're obviously doing more important uh, work than I am. <laughs> I know. I, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, last week I spent less time in, in the lower stress zone and, and, and I think whenever it definitely yields a higher recovery, but it also my capacity to kind of exercise and, and just my, I think, desire to do other things like definitely yeah. increases. So it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's, I think we talk about stress management, but I think having a tool that really helps us see how stress is manifesting in our life is such an, I think, important source of insight to be yeah. able to actually then start to manage it more proactively. Um, I, this has just been an absolute game changer for me in terms of understanding um, you know, really be able to quantify like what actually, what my stress actually looks like and how that might be impacting other aspects of life, my life that I really care about. Yep. That's amazing. All right. So two, and by the way, I love how the whoop makes it so easy to see data in so many different timeframes and ways. It's I know, so I know you can like your, your you week, your month. Yeah, I know. I know it's, it's really, it's so elegant. And I know, I know for folks, you know, they're like, God, there's a lot here. But I, I think just like getting inside and just kind of playing around with it. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it's such a, I think, like delightful, like playful experience when you kind yeah. of get into it. it. It it hopefully doesn't, you know, make people feel anxious or anything. But their their I, stress I think, monitor goes up when they're looking at their data. They're like, what I, know, I know, I <laughs> know. Um, yeah, but I think if you think about it just as a, as like your, it was just a source of empowerment, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I just think that there's nothing cooler than really understanding your body, you know, and, and feeling like you have agency over, over your health, you know, I mean, I think that's what we all want, you know, and, and I think, again, we've never been better positioned in the, in the history of, of time to like actually have agency over our health. And yep. um, yeah, so I think it's really exciting. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so I have two quick questions uh, mm -hmm. from other people as well from my from my uh, from my my fan base. I don't know what else to say. Amazing. Uh, from my audience uh, from social media. So I would say one is, and a lot of my clients, right? So this mm. comes up with some of my clients too. They're yeah. like performers and really successful business people. Yeah. And so how does how can someone who's not an athlete necessarily, or myself too? I'm not an athlete anymore, right? Full time. Same. Yeah. But, but a, but more like an industry leader, like a mm. run a founder of a company running a fund, yeah. is running executive. Yeah. How can they benefit from uh, wearing the whoop? Because a lot of people are like oh, I don't need it. Like the data is confusing. 
what, what are some, how can they benefit by wearing a whoop? Yeah. I mean, I think everything I just said about understanding yeah, I, your, yeah. I mean, even if you just looked at health monitor, right. Yep. Um, I mean, we have people write in every single day. We're not a medical device. Right. But people will be like, oh my God, my heart rate, uh, last night during sleep. Cause you know, cardiovascular events are going to manifest in your sleep first. Yep. So you see, uh, so, you know, a guy wrote in and be like, yeah, my, my resting heart was 20 beats higher than it normally is goes to the doctor, you know, basically is about to have a heart attack, you know, yeah. um, you know, so we have stories every single day, like come in like that, where literally just the data saves their life. Right. And, and that's, I think the opportunity for the folks that you're talking about, yep. if you don't understand your baseline, what are we doing here? Like, I mean, that is just, that should be just, just the, the you know, it is the basics. I, yeah. I think like, I, like, again, we have this amazing opportunity, especially for the clients you're working with they can afford it. Right. And I understand the privileged position of having, you know, access to these kind of data. Not everyone can, but if you can, you know, if you can afford it, like there's no reason why you shouldn't have a handle on what your baseline is. And when yeah. there are egregious deviations in respiratory rate, for example, you know what, lower lung infection, COVID isolate until you can get yourself checked. I mean, yeah. we have a COVID uh, detection algorithm, right. That will basically three days prior to symptom onset, you're going to get probably good and uh, you'll probably know you have COVID before you have it before, you know, any symptoms come along. So just for that alone, it seems like a huge value, but, but I think understanding your stress, um, understanding, you know, um, you know, being able to, to understand what behaviors help you show up in a way that you want to show up in this world. Um, you know, how is alcohol impacting me? How is, you know, short sleep impacting me? We know that we did a huge study with a um, hundred leaders um, uh, uh, from McKinsey, and we saw a relationship between team psychological safety and the sleep of the leader. Uh, yeah. You know? So, I, I mean, like if you sleep deprivation is a feature of like a founder and like an executive and, oh. you know, they're operating um, with huge amounts of sleep debt. Right. And I think they think that that's some sort of badge of honor or, um, they think that they're getting, you know, they're, uh, I'm performing fine, you know, but I think number one, it, sleep deprivation is very sneaky. You cannot perceive your own cognitive, physical, and emotional declines. Yeah. And the people who bear the brunt of your sleep deprivation will be the team, your team. And this is what we saw in that study that the psychological safety of the team basically is dictated by the amount of sleep deprivation the leader has. And that's going to cost Google Aristotle. Uh, Google did a study called Aristotle where they showed that teams that had strong psychological safety brought in $4.3 million more than the teams that didn't. So this yep. is not just like your sleep deprivation is going to impact everyone. Not to mention when you go home to your family. Yep. Can you even imagine if you, if, if I knew that my sleep deprivation was impacting how psychologically safe my, my kids feel when they're around me? If that is not motivation to get your shit together, I don't know what it, I don't know what is. So like, I think that if the opportunity with Whoop is you can start to understand what your sleep is. And we measure with the only device on the, on the market that measures sleep debt and has been able to correlate it to performance variables that we care about, like psychological safety, executive function. We know that for every 45 minutes of sleep debt, you get 10% dumber. If that doesn't matter to the uh, regular Joe out there, not athlete, then once again, like, I, you know, I don't know. So yeah. These are great studies. I need to get these and uh, share them with uh, clients and, and prospects. Yeah, for sure. 
So uh, just to wrap things up, what's a, a final message? Uh, and by the way, for people that do want to, if you haven't tried the Whoop or anybody that wants to get the Whoop, I'm going to put a link down below for people that do uh, want to check it out. They'll, they'll get a free month, I believe, uh, with the link that I put there for. So it's uh, amazing. It's kind of a no brainer for people to check it out. Yeah. Uh, but I would ask you, what, what, uh, how do you want to, what do you want to leave people off with? What's your inspiring or motivational last few words uh, of uh, wisdom you want to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think at like the, the highest level, I think there's an, an opportunity to control your physiology. Right. And I yeah. think the people who are able to control their physiology have a competitive advantage yep. have a, and have a survival advantage. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, again, we're kind of in this time point in, in life where we, the science is pretty clear in terms of like, what is an upgrade in terms of a competitive advantage and a survival advantage and what's a downgrade. And I think to be able to kind of quantify uh, those behaviors on such a granular level is I think an awesome opportunity for folks, again, to take control of the trajectory of their health. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. funny, right? They used to be like, oh, I don't have time for it, but now it actually is. If you want the, the competitive edge and you want to make more money and build your business, it's like, oh, you should do this stuff versus it's not a takeaway. It's a kind of more of a, a more of a must and a, and a value. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the other thing is like, you just don't know what you're leaving on the table and, yep. you know, and, and I've worked with literally the, the top CEOs, athletes, admirals, like, you know, you, like, you, you name it, I have had contact with them and have, yep. have worked with them. And, you know, I think sometimes the first thing that they'll say is like, I'm already elite. And I was like, well, what are you leaving yeah. on the table? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, let's find out. <laughs> and, and that's, that's what this journey is really about is, is, um, you know, all right, you think you're elite. Well, there's probably an area that you can still optimize. And that's what, that's the gap that whoop is going to reveal. Yeah. Boom. Well, so <laughs> thanks so much, Kristen. That was wonderful. I appreciate your time. And, uh, Thanks for all for you and the Whoop team and uh, Will for all the work you guys are doing for us. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please share it and take a minute to leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot and helps the podcast grow and reach more people. Also, click the link down below to join my Peak Network community. Peak Network is a community of heart-centered innovators who are committed to performing, performing at their peak. We do this through coaching, thoughtful discussions, and powerful connections. You'll receive exclusive insights, tools, and strategies on the psychology of peak performance and high-performance habits. Try it out for a week. Join with a link down below for free access.